This is day 139 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Isaiah chapters 12 through 16. Lord God, we come to you today as sinners, as people who have fallen short of your glory and your majesty. And yet you have provided a way for us to meet you where you are and for you to meet us where we are. You have sent your Son into the world to be our mediator. He understands what we've been through. He's our great high priest, and yet he is also the God that saves us, that created us, and that means all goodness for us. Thank you for bringing him into the world to save us from ourselves. As we go into your word today, Lord, may we understand this truth more deeply. Please bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. The Oracle Concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amoz saw. Lift up a standard on the bare hill. Raise your voice to them. Wave the hand that they may enter the doors of the nobles. I have commanded my consecrated ones. I have even called my mighty warriors, my proudly exulting ones, to execute my anger. A sound of tumult on the mountains, like that of many people a sound of the uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathered together. The Lord of hosts is mustering the army for battle. They are coming from a far country, from the farthest horizons, the Lord and his instruments of indignation to destroy the whole land. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp, and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. 
Therefore I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. And it will be that like a hunted gazelle, or like sheep with none to gather them. They will each turn to his own people, and each one flee to his own land. Anyone who is found will be thrust through, and anyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their little ones also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered, and their wives ravished. Behold, I am going to stir up the Medes against them, who will not value silver or take pleasure in gold, and their bows will mow down the young men. They will not even have compassion on the fruit of the womb, nor will their eye pity children. And Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation, nor will the Arab pitch his tent there, nor will shepherds make their flocks lie down there. But desert creatures will lie down there, and their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches also will live there, and shaggy goats will frolic there. Hyenas will howl in their fortified towers, and jackals in their luxurious palaces. Her fateful time also will soon come, and her days will not be prolonged. When the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and again choose Israel and settle them in their own land, then strangers will join them and attach themselves to the house of Jacob. The peoples will take them along and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel will possess them as an inheritance in the land of the Lord, as male servants and female servants. And they will take their captors captive and will rule over their oppressors. And it will be in the day when the Lord gives you rest from your pain and turmoil and harsh service in which you have been enslaved, that you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon and say, How the oppressor has ceased, and how fury has ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers, which used to strike the peoples in fury with unceasing strokes which subdued the nations in anger with unrestrained persecution. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into shouts of joy. Even the cypress trees rejoice over you, and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since you were laid low, no tree-cutter comes up against us. Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead, all the leaders of the earth. It raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. They will all respond and say to you, Even you have been made weak as we. You have become like us. Your pomp and the music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you, and worms are your covering. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn! You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. 
and I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities, who did not allow his prisoners to go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. But you have been cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch, clothed with the slain who are pierced with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a trampled corpse. You will not be united with them in burial, because you have ruined your country. You have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers not be mentioned forever. Prepare for his sons a place of slaughter because of the iniquity of their fathers. They must not arise and take possession of the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts, and will cut off from Babylon name and survivors, offspring and posterity, declares the Lord. I will also make it a possession for the hedgehog and swamps of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, just as I have intended, so it will happen, and just as I have planned, so it will stand, to break Assyria in my land, and I will trample him on my mountains. Then his yoke will be removed from them, and his burden removed from their shoulder. This is the plan devised against the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out against all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has planned, and who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? In the year that King Ahaz died, this oracle came. Do not rejoice, O Philistia, all of you, because the rod that struck you is broken. For from the serpent's root a viper will come out, and its fruit will be a flying serpent. Those who are most helpless will eat, and the needy will lie down in security. I will destroy your root with famine, and it will kill off your survivors. Wail, O gate! Cry, O city! Melt away, O Philistia, all of you! For smoke comes from the north, and there is no straggler in his ranks. How then will one answer the messengers of the nation? That the Lord has founded Zion, and the afflicted of his people will seek refuge in it. The Oracle Concerning Moab Surely in the night Ar of Moab is devastated and ruined. Surely in a night Kir of Moab is devastated and ruined. They have gone up to the temple and to Dibon, even to the high places to weep. Moab wails over Nebo and Medeba. Everyone's head is bald, and every beard is cut off. In their streets they have girded themselves with sackcloth. On their housetops and in their squares, 
everyone is wailing, dissolved in tears. Heshbon and Eliela also cry out. Their voice is heard all the way to Jahaz. Therefore the armed men of Moab cry aloud. His soul trembles within him. My heart cries out for Moab. His fugitives are as far as Zoar and Eglath Shelshia. For they go up the ascent of Luhith, weeping. Surely on the road to Horonaim, they raise a cry of distress over their ruin. For the waters of Nimrim are desolate. Surely the grass is withered, the tender grass died out. There is no green thing. Therefore, the abundance which they have acquired and stored up, they carry off over the brook of Arabim. For the cry of distress has gone around the territory of Moab. Its wail goes as far as Eglium, and its wailing even to Be'er Elim. For the waters of Demon are full of blood. Surely I will bring added woes upon Demon, a lion upon the fugitives of Moab and upon the remnant of the land. Send the tribute lamb to the ruler of the land from Salah, by way of the wilderness, to the mountain of the daughter of Zion. Then, like fleeing birds or scattered nestlings, the daughters of Moab will be at the fords of the Arnon. Give us advice. Make a decision. Cast your shadow like night at high noon. Hide the outcasts. Do not betray the fugitive. Let the outcasts of Moab stay with you. Be a hiding place to them from the destroyer. For the extortioner has come to an end. Destruction has ceased. Oppressors have completely disappeared from the land. A throne will even be established in loving kindness, and a judge will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. Moreover, he will seek justice and be prompt in righteousness. We have heard of the pride of Moab, an excessive pride, even of his arrogance, pride, and fury. His idle boasts are false. Therefore, Moab will wail. Everyone of Moab will wail. You will moan for the raisin cakes of Kir Hareseth, as those who are utterly stricken. For the fields of Heshbon have withered, the vines of Sibma as well. The lords of the nations have trampled down its choice clusters, which reached as far as Jazer and wandered to the deserts. Its tendrils spread themselves out and passed over the sea. Therefore I will weep bitterly for Jazer, for the vine of Sibma. I will drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and Eliela, for the shouting over your summer fruits and your harvest has fallen away. Gladness and joy are taken away from the fruitful field. In the vineyards, also, there will be no cries of joy or jubilant shouting. No treader treads out wine in the presses. For I have made the shouting to cease. Therefore my heart intones like a harp for Moab, and my inward feelings for Kir Haraseth. So it will come about when Moab presents himself when he wearies himself upon his high place 
and comes to his sanctuary to pray, that he will not prevail. This is the word which the Lord spoke earlier concerning Moab. But now the Lord speaks, saying, Within three years, as a hired man would count them, the glory of Moab will be degraded along with all his great population, and his remnant will be very small and impotent. Okay, so let's go ahead and recap what we've learned today. Beginning in chapter 12, we see that Isaiah is offering a hymn of praise to the Lord for a couple of things. This is a twofold hymn here because it's talking about everything that has been revealed to Isaiah about the future kingdom, the millennial kingdom, where Jesus will return and bring all of the holy ones home with him for all eternity. And he's extremely joyous about it, as we should be, right? But at the same time, this is also prophecy as well. What the attributes of the Holy One, the Messiah, are going to be. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Why? The only way that God's anger is appeased and satisfied is through the blood of Jesus Christ. So this person here, which is Isaiah, speaking, is speaking from a place knowing that he has been saved by God's grace. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. That is what Jesus' name literally means. The Lord is my salvation. So he's talking about the coming Messiah, what he is going to perform in order to bring redemption to his people. He has become my salvation. And it's very strange that he says that in the present tense, even though Jesus did not come into the world until hundreds of years later. So why is he saying it in the present tense? Because the nature of Jesus' crucifixion and redemptive act is, like it described in the book of Hebrews, once for all time, past, present, and future, all at once, has been forgiven from their sins for those who believed in God. He understands that it is a present forgiveness, just as much as it is a future one. So he is joyous to that fact. And so he ends his psalm here to the Lord with just overall joy and to the Holy One of Israel being Jesus Christ, because his name is excellent and he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth, so that needs to be spread through the gospel. It all comes together with the New Testament. So there are some people that say the Old Testament is completely separate from the New. I completely beg to differ if you haven't figured that out by now. It is all interconnected. It is one narrative about one God and about one Savior. It has never changed. The narrative of the Bible has been constant. More things were revealed and more plainly spoken in when Jesus came and afterward, but it's all been the same. Now, in the next chapters, 
They're mostly all dedicated to the prophecies and oracles against particular nations. So if you look at chapter 13, this is a prophecy against Babylon. And it completely talks about, in verses 3 through 5, how God is calling mighty warriors, his exulting ones, an army for battle. And what he's referring here to is that Babylon will soon be destroyed and it will never come back. And this will come about in the lifetime of some of the people that we have already read. Think about Daniel, for instance. Daniel was taken into captivity by Babylon, but in his lifetime, as he was serving as a high official of Babylon, it was conquered by the Medes and the Persians. So that was exactly who God's talking about here in chapter 13. He's talking about the Medes and the Persians who are going to conquer Babylon not too long from here. So this is, again, a prophecy that will come true. But again, just like in Isaiah fashion, he'll go from talking about a present event or a present problem to a future event. So where sometimes he'll jump from, okay, the Persians are going to conquer Babylon, and then he jumps into the Millennial Kingdom again, talking about the Day of the Lord. So he does that back and forth, but there's a purpose to it, because it's all interrelated. God's justice is being satisfied today, and it will be satisfied completely in the future. And you see very graphic language, very detailed, descriptive language of how devastating this destruction is going to be. The ungodly and the unrighteous, the wicked, will all be destroyed in this fashion. So it looks really bad, like he's being extra hard on these people. But that's not true at all. We have to understand that those who are going to hell are going to be dealing with this very thing. And it's probably a million times worse than what they're going to be dealing with here in the flesh. This is the severity of God's judgment on those who do not obey him. So we need to take this very seriously. And this should give us some motivation to talk to people about changing their lives around and obeying God. Because this is what they have to look forward to. This isn't just limited to Babylon. This did happen to Babylon, but all who are against God are his enemy. And he will take care of it in like fashion. The judgment against Babylon carries on into chapter 14, but you reach a point halfway through where things shift a bit. And, and like Isaiah fashion, it goes from future events to something bigger. And this time, it's a very unique perspective as to Satan. Verses 12 through 17, when you read it at first, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense because it doesn't sound like he's talking directly to a particular king. It could be, and there's other scripture as well that we'll come across soon that is greater than some human that is being addressed here. And so this is one of those pieces of scripture that is addressed to somebody else that is not the king of Babylon, somebody behind the scenes that is running the show. And that person is Satan. 
So here we see God pronouncing judgment against Satan, reminding him of his future fate. Verse 12, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. I don't know if any kings have fallen from heaven. That may be symbolic language, but very literally, this is a description of Lucifer, the original name of Satan. He was referred to as the morning star. He and Jesus, in similar ways, are also referred to as the star of the dawn, or the star of the morning. Not that they are related in any fashion, not that they are two sides of the same coin, or any of that blasphemy, but this language is showing that he was an exalted being in the presence of God until he started talking like this. You have been cut down because of what you said in your heart. And then you see all the eyes. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God, the stars of God being angels. And I will sit on the Mount of Assembly. I will ascend above the heights. I will make myself like God. Nevertheless, we know that this is most likely the first incident of sin in the entire universe. Pride. The original sin. And it's also part of the reason why humans fell too. So what does God do to this being that is so proud? You will be thrust down to the grave, to the recesses of the pit, deep hell. Those who see you will gaze at you, and they will ponder over you, saying, Is this the man who made the whole earth tremble? I'm looking forward to that day very much. I don't know about you. But I'm looking forward to, in the end times, seeing this deceiver, this one who has caused billions upon billions of people throughout history to be deceived and tempted and led astray. He doesn't sin for us, let me be clear. We are responsible for our own sin, but he's not helping things. And he does orchestrate evil behind the scenes. Let's look in the world today, it's so obvious now. And we're going to look at him and be like, really? This is the one who's caused all this trouble? Bye bye I look forward to never seeing you again, you big loser. I look forward to that day very much. I don't know about you. And then he changes gears and he goes back to being Babylon, exactly who, what he's predicting here. There's almost like there's a brief intermission to talk about Satan in that judgment. Then beginning in verse 24, it goes into the next group, that there is going to be judgment against Assyria. And we know that Assyria is wiped out by Babylon. That's what historically happened. And he reminds us in verse 26 that this is God's plan. This is the plan devised against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out against all the nations. And that is the hand of God. For the Lord of hosts has planned, and we have to remember this, who can frustrate it? The answer is no one. No one can frustrate God's plan. In Sunday school at church, we're studying Jonah. And what did Jonah do? Jonah ran from God. He was told to go to Nineveh and pronounce judgment against the people. And he went the other direction, intentionally. A prophet of God. 
very uncharacteristic of a prophet. God cannot be thwarted. So on his attempt to escape, he caused all these incidents to happen, and still by his grace, he saved him, gave him another chance. And he went begrudgingly, and he accomplished exactly what God intended to accomplish. And that made Jonah very upset, because he held a prejudice against the people of Nineveh, that they, he felt they didn't deserve redemption, but he gave it to him anyway. My point is, is that Jonah tried to thwart or postpone God's plan, but nobody can stop God. No man, no demon, no angel, no institution, nothing can stop God. He does as he pleases. And so if things are the way they are, because it's God's will. Don't ever forget that, because that's very important to understand, that God has complete control and is sovereign over all creation. None of this has escaped his gaze, and nothing is out of control. That should bring us great comfort. Verses 28 through the end of the chapter are a judgment against Philistia, the land of the Philistines. We know they've been a thorn in Israel's side for centuries, so this is a matter of time for them to be wiped out. Beginning in chapter 15 and through 16, we have judgment against Moab. And we know that Moab still has some sort of significance to God, because if you recall, Moab is a land that was created through the descendants of Lot the nephew of Abraham. The Bible describes Lot as being an overall righteous man. He made mistakes, and his daughters made some terrible mistakes. They still hold a special place in God's heart because they are family to Abraham, the friend of God. So you see some language in here. For example, you see in verse 5, My heart cries out for Moab. It hurts for God to punish these people. You can't injure God, but it grieves his heart when people sin against him. It grieves that his people have abandoned him. They were not his chosen race, but they were a people that were of value to him because of their, their lineage. And it hurts to see them be disrupted, but... For generations upon generations of pagan worship, they had what was coming to them. So that happens to all nations that reject God. They will eventually fall. All nations have fallen that have disregarded God, and they will continue to do so until he returns. And at the very end of chapter 16, he prophesies that within three years, Moab will be completely destroyed and there will be barely anyone who has survived. God is not done with his judgments yet. There are more nations that will be judged the next day or so. So we'll see what God has to say about those people as well. But for now, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.